this morning we don't have a particular scripture reading because we're, we're drawing from many scriptures. And the title of the message is When God Does Something New. You know, have you ever heard someone say that the only things that never change in life are death and taxes? <laughs> you know, that's a very common phrase that gets tossed around. Any government anywhere always wants money. And in our country, Republicans, Democrats are always arguing over taxes. And of course, death, we all die, if we've been reminded. But I would suggest there is one other constant to our world since the beginning of time, and that is change. The world is constantly changing. You know, for most of our history in, in the world, the change process was very slow. But somewhere around the 15th century, the rate of change began to slowly increase. The invention of the printing press meant that information could be more easily disseminated. The beginnings of modern science and research began to take hold and, and advancements and made the Industrial Revolution made many things more readily available to people. You know, and then we come to the beginning of the computer age, and that has accelerated change at an unprecedented rate. When I was in college my freshman year in the winter of 1971, one of my courses I had to read a book that was published in 1970 called Future Shock by Alvin Toffler. And, and his a futurist, and his thesis was that change would accelerate at such an unprecedented rate in the next 20, 30 years that it would become disorienting and increasingly stressful for everyone. And that is really a very true reality of our world. It has, change has just accelerated at a rate we could never imagine, even 30 or 40 years ago. And, and if one looks at the Bible in a kind of big picture way, one would say that the Bible in many ways, is a story of change. Think what happens at the beginning of creation. Adam and Eve live in the ideal world of the Garden of Eden where all their needs were met and they lived in close relationship with God where they communed freely together. And then they acted selfishly and disobeyed God, wanting to live life their own way. And what happened? Suddenly their whole world changed. They were booted out of the garden. Work became hard. They had to struggle to make a living. The physical world around them suddenly became challenging and dangerous. It still provided what they needed, but it became really hard work for them. Sickness and death entered into their lives. Interpersonal strife and conflict became the norm between men and women, <laughs> between different groups and cultures and languages. And those are the things we still struggle with today. And, and the biblical story really starts there. It's the story of God doing something new to reestablish a relationship with men and women that had been broken and to reestablish his rule over a very broken and dysfunctional world. And so God began a new work when he calls Abram. Listen to Genesis 12. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. God called Abraham to a new land, the promised land, and he was creating a new nation, Israel, that would represent him to the rest of the world. Israel's purpose was to be a light to the world, pointing people to the one true God. You know, Isaiah confirmed this purpose of God for his people over a thousand years later when he wrote what God said in Isaiah 42, he says this, I chose you to bring justice. 
I'm here at your side. I selected and sent you to bring light in my promise of hope to the nations. That was Israel's purpose. That's what God's purpose for them. And, and that is a story of the Old Testament in a nutshell. God was doing a new work. But Israel failed to live up to God's plans. They rejected God's purposes for their lives by and large. Not everybody rejected God's call. There was always a faithful remnant. And the prophet Isaiah, just three verses later from the verse I read, announced that God is going to do something new. And he says this, See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare before they spring into being, I announce them to you. And what does he do? He begins to talk about the Messiah, Jesus. God was going to send a Messiah to accomplish his purposes, to draw people back to God. Jesus was not going to come as a mighty warrior. He was going to come as a sacrificial lamb to pay the penalty for our selfishness, our sin, our disobedience, extending us his forgiveness. And God would begin to reestablish his control over the world and relationships with people one person at a time until Jesus would return at a second coming. That's God's new work. He created a new covenant, a new testament. So the author of Hebrews writes, by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete in aging will soon disappear. What was that difference? The old covenant was conditional. God said, I will do this if you obey me. It was dependent on people's obedience. And even though God was faithful and one day will honor his covenant with Israel, God's people as a whole did not honor their part. So when God's people failed, he did something new. He created a new covenant which is unconditional. It's dependent on what Jesus did on the cross, not on what we do to earn God's blessing. We just have to accept Jesus' work at the cross. That is the story of the Bible. God is always doing something new to accomplish his purposes. And you know, since the time of Jesus, God continues to do something new. He raises up new leaders, new faith communities to keep drawing the church back to accomplishing his purposes, which have been the same since the beginning of history, to draw people back into a relationship to the one true almighty God and reestablish his rule in the world that he created. And as Jesus' followers, we always have to keep that big picture in mind. You think about the various people he raised up, St. Augustine, Martin Luther, Jonathan Edwards, some of the early Catholic um, orders, St. Francis of Assisi, they were missionary orders, they went and served. He always raised up new people to keep the focus of what God's work was all about. And so for the rest of the time, I want to look at the story of Moses and God's deliverance for the people from Egypt, because that's the dominant story of the Old Testament, and it demonstrates for us what happens to us when God does something new. First, when God does something new, we always encounter doubt. We have questions. We don't fully understand what God is doing. We doubt God's leading. You know, the first book of Exodus begins by telling us that God's people settled in Egypt. And they grew in number in the land, in the land of Egypt and was filled with Israelites. And later, pharaohs in Egypt came to fear them because they grew so numerous and they forced them into slavery. 
making their lives miserable for almost 400 years. Because the Jews grew so numerous, one of the later pharaohs ordered that all Hebrew boys should be put to death to hinder their growth. And so God begins a new work with that decree when Moses, a Hebrew boy, is hidden by his mother then placed in a basket floating down a Nile. He's discovered by Pharaoh's daughter and raised in Pharaoh's household. And one day when he's grown, having been educated and, and grown up in a household of wealth and power and affluence, expecting to rule, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his own people, Hebrews, and he killed them and hid his body. And then the next day Moses saw two Hebrews arguing and fighting, and he tried intervening, thinking they would appreciate his help since he you know, was powerful and part of Pharaoh's household. But instead they rejected his help because they had doubts about Moses. They thought Moses might kill them instead of wanting to help them, just like he killed the Egyptian. And so Moses ends up fleeing from Egypt, afraid of what would happen when Pharaoh found out what he did. The Hebrews had doubts about Moses. Surely this man raised in Pharaoh's household wasn't really going to help them. That cannot be how God is going to help them. Nexus tells us that God's people continued to suffer, and finally they call out to God to intercede on their behalf. So what does God do? He goes back to Moses and calls Moses again through a burning bush that didn't burn up. Moses had spent 40 years in the wilderness tending sheep. He married. He had his own children. God reaches out to him and tells Moses that he wants him to lead his people out of Egypt. What's Moses' reaction? Hey, I tried to do this once 40 years ago. Didn't go so well. They wouldn't listen to me. I failed miserably. Why would they listen to me now? Moses had all kinds of questions and doubts about what God was doing. He argues with God. Why is this not a good idea? Listen to him. First, Moses says, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? I don't even know your name, God. And God gives them the name that's in the Old Testament when you see Lord in all capital letters. That means I am that I am. You know, Jesus picked that up. I'm the light of the world. I'm the bread of life. I'm the good shepherd. And so Moses is telling God that I can't do this because I don't even know your name. So God answers this question, seeking to remove his doubts. He tells Moses his name and assures him that he would be with him in everything he does. But Moses still has his doubts and questions. And so he asks asks God, well, what if they don't believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, the Lord has not appeared to you. Moses continued to express his doubts, you know, saying they wouldn't even believe me. I'm taking care of sheep for the last 40 years. Why would they listen to me now? They didn't listen to me before. And again, Moses gives, God gives Moses assurances that Moses would have the ability to prove that God spoke to him, take the staff, cast it down. Turns a snake, picks it back up, puts his hand, his thing comes out leprous, puts it back in, it's healed, it's clear. But Moses still has doubts. And he says to the Lord, please, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither recently nor in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So God said, I'll let your brother Aaron speak for you since he's a gifted speaker. But the doubts didn't stop there. You know, when Moses and Aaron first went to Pharaoh and told them that God says to let his people go, Pharaoh was indignant and tells his people to work the Hebrews harder. 
he makes their lives even more miserable. So the leaders of the Hebrews confront Moses and Aaron and blame them for making their lives even more miserable. And Moses goes back to God with more doubt saying, Oh Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is that why you sent me? Do you hear his doubts and the doubts of the Hebrew people? When God does something new, he knows as human beings we will have doubts and questions. You know, when Samuel tells David, a young shepherd, that he'll be the next king of Israel, David has all kinds of doubts and questions because over the next two years, while Saul is still king, a lot of strange things happen to David. And you could go on and on. You know, when Jesus began his ministry, Jesus' disciples and even his mothers and brothers had all kinds of doubts and questions about what Jesus was doing. Scripture tells us at one point they came to get him because he wasn't eating. The crowds were pressing in. They wanted to take him away. They thought he must be crazy. You know, all the way through, whenever God does something new, there are doubts and questions. Partnering with Grace Point is something new. It's perfectly okay. It's perfectly natural that we would have doubts and questions. And if we're going to move on, we always have to get those doubts and questions out into the open. God always expects that that and wants us to be honest with him, expressing our doubts, asking our questions, because we never can really move on if we don't do that. We keep them to ourselves, and they lock in, and they become much more powerful. So God says, share them. You know, Jesus answered all kinds of questions of people who had doubts. We see that all the time in the Gospels. First, when God does something new, we always encounter doubt. Second, when God's something new, Life changes, and we experience loss. You know, when changes happen in our lives, we always lose something. We always experience some kind of loss or grief. That applies both to positive and negative changes. You know, on Monday of this week, we held a funeral for Doris Wheeler. We all knew her loved her. She was always so kind and gracious, so very upbeat about things. She impacted people's lives in many ways. The funeral was a celebration of her life. We're certain that her spirit is with God in heaven. She loved Jesus. And we're grateful that her health issues are behind. But despite all those things for her family, there's a loss. And they mourn in, in their own ways and grieves. We'll miss her joy and laughter she brings to us. You know, when someone dies, we have a loss. And that brings out all kinds of emotions. But even in positive change, there's loss. Think about a couple and the birth of their first child. It's exciting for a married couple. They're bringing new life into the world, someone of their own flesh and blood. But even with that joy, they suffer some loss. They're going to lose sleep. <laughs> they are going to lose some of their freedom. They just can't take off and do the things they want to do that they used to. Now they have to plan and take care of their own child, arrange babysitters, or alter their schedule, maybe even change their activities and how they spend their time. They lose alone time with each other because now there's a third person that demands a lot of attention in order to live safe and be safe. So at some point they may think, hmm, this parenting is a lot harder than I thought. <laughs> or maybe they ask themselves, what have I gotten myself into? Hopefully the joy of a new life far outweighs the changes and the loss, but even with the best changes in life, we all experience a sense of loss. When we suffer loss, what are we doing? We're mourning and grieving. We don't just mourn at the death of someone. Any loss 
can bring mourning and grief. It can be anger, frustration, sadness, all kinds of emotions. Now think about the Israelites. They had been living for over 400 years, and most of those years they had been treated as slaves. They had been treated harshly. They weren't free. They, they couldn't do whatever they wanted. The Egyptians, when they left, when God delivered them, the Egyptians blessed them with gold and silver. They were sent out with large flocks of sheep. They saw how God had interceded for them. I'm sure there was a sense of joy when they realized they were free to leave Egypt. But then think about the new life they stepped into when they left Egypt. They were walking into a wilderness they knew nothing about. Even though God was leading them, they didn't know where they were going. Where would they get the food and water once they finished the supplies they brought from Egypt? When they heard about the Egyptian army chasing them down in their mighty chariots. And even after that, when they came to Mount Sinai, Moses disappears for 40 days and they assume he's gone. They wondered what happened to him. Everywhere they were faced with uncertainty. And they looked back and they felt lost. They soon began to mourn what they had in Egypt. In Egypt, life was predictable, even if it was hard. They lived in their own houses. They knew where their food was coming from. They knew exactly what to expect each day. There was structure and routine to their life. And they found safety and comfort in that, even though it was hard. Now they were free, but with freedom came the loss of structure, routine, predictability, and safety. And so they began to mourn what they lost and left behind in Egypt. You know, some of you have been here a couple of years, others 20, 30, 40 years. Some of you have been here attending this church all your lives. Joining together with Grace Point will bring new people, energy, and ministries to our church. We'll see an influx of children. They have lots of children. It should be cause for excitement and joy. But at the same time, there will be loss. The routine and structures we're familiar with will be changing. Sunday morning service will be changing. There will be a lot of people we don't know and we'll have to work at getting to know. Maybe we'll lose some of the relationships we have here now. You know, end of the year, I'll be retiring and Sula and I will, will be moving on. All of those are legitimate losses that impact our hearts and minds. Loss means mourning and grief. It brings a host of emotions to us. Anger, sometimes, fear, all those kinds of sadness, grief. It takes time to work through those emotions. They will be very real. And, and some of you will be very surprised at the emotions you feel along the way. And that's okay. You know, God wants to be a very present help in this time of change and loss. He's that way all the way through Scripture. Jesus writes in the Beatitudes at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, what, blessed are those who, what, mourn, for they shall be comforted. The Psalms are great for people who are feeling lost and many conflicting emotions. Go home and read the Psalms and read how the psalmists express their fears, their anger, their frustrations. They pour out their emotions to God and invite us to do the same. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The psalmist declares in Psalm 73, my health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. You know, we could go on and on sharing verses that talk about how God wants to comfort our hearts in the midst of our loss and grief. Paul talks in, about in, in, in 1 Corinthians how he comforts us so that we in turn may comfort others. 
He invites us to be honest with him and to share our feelings and grief. He wants to meet us and walk with us through our grief, as David writes in the famous 23rd Psalm. Even though I walk through the shadow of the fat valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God welcomes us to express our emotions and feelings to him because he wants to be that source of comfort. So when God does something new, we always encounter doubt. Second, when God does something new, life changes and we experience loss and a host of emotions. Third, and lastly, when God does something new, our human inclination is to return to the past, to what is familiar. That's our, hum that's our humanity coming through. The Israelites were enslaved. They had no freedom. They worked ridiculously hard and were treated brutally. Pharaoh was seeking to put to death all the male babies that were born, but God interceded to protect them. Think about that. And when they encounter difficulties and uncertainties and a new freedom and wanderings in the wilderness, what's their first reaction? Let's go back to our wonderful life we had in Egypt. <laughs> Let's go back to slavery. Really? When they heard that the Egyptian army was pursuing them and they were trapped by the Red Sea, they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And what did God do? He delivered them from the Egyptian army, just like he delivered them from the land of Egypt. When they ran out of food, they brought from Egypt, they spoke to Moses. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Let's go back to Egypt. They forgot the difficulties of the past because of the uncertainties of the future. They grumbled when they found no water. They grumbled and wanted to return to Egypt when they encountered other peoples and armies as they were thinking about occupying the promised land. No matter how many times they saw the faithfulness of God, human nature kicked in and they wanted to go back to what they knew. They wanted to go back to the past. That is human nature. You know, it's been the same all through human history. <laughs> One of the famous last famous seven words most spoken most often in the church which God is leading to something new. What is it? We never did it this way before. That's a natural human motion to want to hold on to the past when we face change and uncertainty in the future. And every time the Israelites wanted to go back, God stepped in and met them. When they had no bread left, God said to Moses and the Israelites, I'll rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. Every crisis and uncertainty they encountered, God met their need, affirmed his love and presence with them, and helped them navigate a new life. And think about our past. Think about how you've seen the faithfulness of God. Twelve or so years ago, this sanctuary was condemned, but God stepped in and provided the resources to fix it and provided a new sense of purpose and direction that God was doing something new in the midst. When you voted to proceed from C3, Church's Covenant for Change, what did God do? God brought us out of the blue, the grace of God tabernacle, providing 
audio and visual resources and needed financial resources as well as a new sense of vision. He expanded our ministry opportunities, helping Young Life, providing housing for Christian young Christian people who were seeking in ministry opportunities. You know, feeding 50 people each week for three years during COVID, and starting a dinner church for two years. And every time there was a financial need, God provided in many different ways. You know what's the amazing thing is? Even with our declining attendance, our giving has gone up. Think about that. Even with our declining attendance, giving has gone up. God has met every single need in every single circumstances that we have seen over the last 12 years. He honors the faithfulness. Do you think, really think he's going to stop doing that when we step into the future? as we think about coming together with Grace Point. You know, God spoke to Moses, to the Israelites, towards the end of his life, and he said this, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, speaking of the enemies they'll encounter in the promised land. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. In other words, look back. Look how God's been with you each step, and know that he's going to be with you as you step forward. You know, isn't that what Jesus said to his disciples just before he ascended back into heaven, leaving them? And he said, be sure of this, I am always with you even to the end of the age. God promises never to leave us alone when we follow his lead and will. We have seen his faithfulness in the past, and his assurance is that he'll continue to be faithful into the future. God never wants his people to go back. He always wants his people to go forward. He wants to assure us that he'll continue to pour out his blessings upon us. He wants to continue to experience us to experience new blessings. We experienced those blessings in the past because we are obedient to follow his will. And the same will be in the future as we follow his will. Lamentations writes, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. He's saying that to a people who are in exile, who have been kicked out of the promised land, who are living as slaves in a foreign land. He's saying God is faithful. He hasn't, he hasn't forgotten you. What, was Israel, what Israel was going through back in Egypt? Slavery. What would we go back to? A declining congregation that is growing smaller and smaller very quickly, as we're reminded this week with Doris's funeral, as we see around us. And within a few months, when I retire, almost all of the activities and service opportunities we've had, part of our time here, will probably cease. Is that what you want this past year? We didn't do Fourth of July. We didn't do Waters on the Common. We didn't do Christmas Nativity. At this point in time, we, we can't even do a regular coffee hour. So what we'd be going back to, becoming a very, very small congregation that meets on Sunday morning, and, 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 you know, that's what we'll be going back to. And yet, none of the things that as a church we're supposed to be in terms of outreach and community would be going on anymore. God is always doing something new to accomplish his purposes. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 that when a person comes to faith in Jesus, they're a new creation. The old life passes away and new life comes. In the Old Testament, God leads his people into new ways, depending on the circumstances, but his purposes always remain the same, to bring people back into a relationship to God. 
That's the purpose. In Acts, God raised up new faith communities. All through church history, God does something new to catch his people's attention, to point them back to his purposes. He continues to raise up new leaders, new works of ministry, new faith communities everywhere, all around the world. God always wants us to remember how faithful he's been in the past. You know, Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out from Egypt, from the house of slavery, by a powerful hand, the Lord brought you out from this place. He wants us to remember all the ways he's led us, provided for us, protected us. He wants us to remember all the ways that God has always been with us. He wants us to learn from the past and apply those lessons to the future as we follow him. On the one hand, he tells us to remember his faithfulness in the past, but he warns us not to live in the past. Remember his faithfulness, but not to live in the past. He never wants us to go back to the past. New life is found in the future and continuing to following God's leading. The prophet Isaiah tells us to Israel, forget what happened before. Do not think about the past. Look at the new thing I'm going to do. It is already happening. Don't you see it? I will make a road in the desert and rivers in dry land. The Apostle Paul expressed the same sentiment for his own life as an example for us to follow when he wrote this in Philippians. My friends, I don't feel that I've arrived, but I forget what is behind. I struggle for what is ahead. I run towards the goal so that I can win the prize of being called to heaven. This is the prize that God offers because of what Christ Jesus has done. All of us who are mature should think in the same way. The Exodus story gives us great insight into our own human nature as people. and shows us how to move in the future when God is doing a new thing. We're all going to have doubts and questions. That's what it means to be human. We need to share those doubts and questions with one another, with God. We have to get them out into the open. Because when we don't get them into the open, they control us. When we hide them, they can't be addressed. And we're not free to move on. When God is doing a new thing, we also experience a range of emotions because we lost anger, frustration, fear, uncertainty, all legitimate emotions. But they become more powerful when we keep them bottled up. It's okay to express them. It's okay to express them to one another, to God. Because when we get them out, Scripture tells us to pour our hearts out to God. He wants us to be honest with him. That's the foundation of our relationship, to be honest with one another. You know, when we get those emotions out into the open again, only then are we free to move past them. Just like when someone grieves at a loss of a loved one. They have to get those emotions out. They have to walk through them. They have to experience them. Or they never move past and find wholeness again. When God does something new, we should understand that. Finally, we need to understand that it's perfectly natural to want to hang on to the past or return to the past. It's what we know. But if we hang on to the past, we're not to free to experience the blessings that God wants to bring to the future. At some point, we have to let go of the past to be free to move into the future. God always wants to give us a hope for the future. You know, Jeremiah again wrote, because it's, it's the key to living successfully in the present. And he wrote to his people who were in exile, who were again in a slavery in a foreign land. He says this, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and hope. That's always his promise to his people. 
who seek to faithfully follow him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. For your word speaks into our hearts and is so real and, and well. Written many, many thousands of years ago, but yet it speaks to our human nature and to the world in which we live even today. We thank you, Father, that you are a God who has always been faithful. So I pray, Father, for each every person here, for those that could not be here today, that you would just speak into our hearts and minds, that you would just show us clearly how you've been leading, that we would have this sense of call and purpose that this is the way you've been leading us, and that we can walk forward with confidence. Father, I pray for all the various feelings and emotions that are there, Lord. You know us because your son Jesus walked upon this earth in our shoes, and he experienced loss, abandonment, all kinds of things. So you know who we are, and we know the scripture says, let us draw near with confidence, for we have a high priest who, who is, knows all our, our feelings and emotions, can sympathize us with all in our weaknesses, and you promise to find hope. So I pray, Father, that you would just do that, that you would continue to provide a sense of hope to each and every one of us. And we know that hope ultimately roots in Jesus, for as we're doing Revelation, we, we know and understand Jesus is coming back. So thank you, Father for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.